Amen. Welcome home. How's everybody doing? All right. That's good. That's good. The rest of you come along. We're, we're going we're gonna to get it. Um, welcome home. You're at Bethany. My name is Tom. Um, Matt is gone this week. It is his birthday. So uh, we pray for him. We pray for Ari. Um, but he's getting some, uh, some great uh, relaxation and refreshing. And uh, I love him. He's an anointed man of God. And uh, he loves you. I know that. So uh, we look forward to having him back next week. Uh, a couple of housekeeping things before we dive in. Uh, first of all, glad to see that we got a little bit more room. That means that you can spread out, relax this week. Uh, as the snow starts to fly and some of you start to enjoy uh, the mountains around here and then after CB opens up, it may work out for you to come join us on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. We do another service there. Um, so um, you're always welcome uh, to do that. Uh, the children may be dismissed for Children's Church. There they go. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, they're probably already up there. Um, okay, a couple of announcements. We got a lot going on. We're just going to breeze through these really quickly. Saturday, it's my last chance to tell you here about the Act Like Men Conference. All the guys, all the guys need to be here, need to be here. If you're, I would say, middle school, high school, college, older, just this side of the grave, uh, the Bible has a lot to say about how to act like men in the biblical sense. We're going to unpack uh, how to be uh, God's man in your friendships, in your workplace, in your marriages, in your dating relationships, uh, with your parents, with your finances. Uh, it's going to be a great time. And we got uh, the UFC guys. They're going to be here. Uh, two parts to this. There's a conference during the day. It starts at noon. Uh, and we go through dinner time. We're co-sponsored by our buddies at the Power Stop. So there's going to be uh, a lot of good food. Uh, uh, pre please bring some money for that. It's a, it's a free event, uh, but we'll take a love offering because we got to get the UFC guys in from Portland. And there's also uh, uh, Ryan is bringing a worship band in uh, from Missouri, and they're driving. We need about 19 guys who are willing to part with about 10 bucks a piece just so we can get them some gas money. But it's going to be a great time. Uh, if you're a guy, you need to be here, okay? If you don't wear a dress, you need to be here. If you're a guy and you do wear a dress, you really need to be here, okay? Um, there are posters. There are invitation cards. Take one for yourself. Take one for your buddies. It's going to be life-changing, and uh, we look forward to that. Okay, um, Let's see, next baptism service is October the 6th, uh, always very December. I said October. Yeah, we're going to get all the kinks worked out during the announcements so that we're not messing with God's Word. It's good. Uh, December the 6th, uh, I'm usually at that door on the way out. Talk to me. Here's something that you could say. I want to be baptized on December the 6th. Okay, uh, so that we need to know so we can plan, so we can get with you, so we can talk with you, so we can support you and pray for you. Uh, don't miss that. We've got a lot of great things coming up. Uh, we're getting ready for Christmas. A um, couple of things related to that. We have a, a ladies' Christmas tea. We got a Christmas party. We got all kinds of great stuff going on. They're all written here. So take it home. 
uh, and mark that on your calendars. We look forward to having you. Um, Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. Uh, that's where we're going to be living this morning. This is the 23rd installment of our Acts series, um, and we're in chapter 6. Uh, Acts chronicles about 30 years in the early church. And some of you are thinking it's probably going to take us 30 years to get through this book. But uh, God is doing some wonderful things in our midst as we do it. We're calling this message, It Takes a Church. It Takes a Church. Uh, here's what we're going to do uh, with this. I'll give you the end at the beginning, and then we'll unpack the scripture that's going to get there. Um, I'll give you the end. Uh, if you're visiting this week, uh, you've kind of stumbled into a family meeting. It'll give you a sense of what this whole following Jesus thing is all about and how he calls us to view and to do and to live church differently. What he had in mind, uh, what we have in mind, and how those things are different. And what we're going to talk about is not being a consumer church, but being a gospel community, okay? Um, and so that's where we're going. Uh, if you're just joining us, uh, if you're visiting, uh, we want to view and do church differently, okay? Because I'm convinced that in many places in the American church and probably beyond, the church has done a lot to keep people away from Jesus Christ rather than being that light and that salt and that, that gospel-centered community that is so attractive that, that people uh, see us together, see us loving Jesus, loving each other, loving people far from Jesus, and they're attracted to that. Um, and so that's what we want to do. Um, so uh, the church, in the words of Ian Coffey, I love this. Uh, well, in the scripture, uh, Jesus continues to refer to the church as his body, the body of Christ. When you see the church, you should see what Jesus is like. So Ian Coffey said, we are on a continual effort to look more like the bride of Christ and less like the bride of Frankenstein. So that's what we're going to try to do. Um, we are go we've got a lot to do, so we'll pray and we'll get right to work. How about that? Uh, let's ask for God's help. Father, uh, you are so good. Lord Jesus, you are our hope and our salvation. Holy Spirit, you are among us. Lord, we, we pray for your outpouring. Lord, we pray against the devil, his servants, their works and effects. We ask that we might be able to focus on you and your word. We ask that you open eyes and open hearts and open minds and reveal yourself and that we might respond afresh and anew in deeper ways, that you might break down walls, that you might crumble preconceptions and anything that is different uh, that we've been hanging on to than what you call us to, Lord. Um, we're joyful as we get to uh, be in your presence together, um, and, and we thank you for your word. I ask you to forgive me my sins, for they are many. And, and Lord, I ask that we would see Jesus and him only, uh, and that you would do what only you can do uh, in this time. Lord, make us, make us uh, the church uh, that you had in mind, that you have in mind, that you're calling us to be. Uh, in Jesus' beautiful name, we pray. Amen. 
Okay, first we want to remind everyone who's here, we do this occasionally, of what Jesus has called us to as a local body, as Bethany. So we, we ask uh, to bring up the purpose statement, if you will. And we do this, we ask that we would say this together. So I'd ask you to sit up straight, clear your throats, and say this with me like you mean it. I'm worried about you. Ready? We're called to be a growing, relevant family of missionaries whose desire is to see Western and Gunnison know Jesus Christ. Now, it takes a church that is a huge calling, that is an enormous calling to see every last person in the city, in the county, in our reach, at the college, know Jesus Christ. It's a huge calling. It's a tall order. And it takes a church to get that done. It's like Jesus coming up to you and handing you a rake and saying, I need you to pick up the leaves in the West Elk wilderness. Okay. And you might say, I can't do it. I can't do it by myself. He says, I never said anything about you doing it by yourself. I'm going with you. And, and you have the church. You have, you have the church. So, so let's assume that you had 300 or so people who are interacting with you uh, across the, the course of a month, right? Which is what we have, thank God. And, and what we do is we go out and we get gloves. We give everybody gloves. We give everybody a rake. We buy those uh, big black lawn and leaf bags that are larger than our first apartment. And, and we give you like uh, that fluorescent orange vest, right? So you don't get shot by a, a, a drunk hunter from Arkansas. Now, oh, come on. Anybody from Arkansas? Oh, bless you guys. Now, look, I'm not saying, but you're here, aren't you? Yeah, so there was a decision at some point, right? I'm not saying that everybody in Arkansas is a drunk, just the hunters. No, um, and we go out, right? So 300 strong, we're all equipped, right? We got the vision. And, and like of that 300, like 60 are raking. And like 240 are sitting around singing songs about raking leaves, you know? We're raking the leaves, sing with me, we're raking the leaves. All right, I'm trying. I'm trying. And you're not going to get it done because Jesus has given us a God-sized calling. And it takes a church. It takes a church to be the church. And I just want to take a look at a couple of words from our, this, this connects. This connects to the scripture that we're going to uh, be looking at. Look at those underlying words, family, missionaries, Western, Gunnison, Jesus Christ, okay? Here's what it's not about. It's not about me. Does it say anything about me? Does it say anything about you specifically and, and your preferences? And you're just, we are to gather together, to sacrifice, to be that family, to be those missionaries, it's first and foremost about Jesus Christ and about the people that he loves who are far from him and, and us growing up in him so that we can uh, experience gospel community and invite everyone into that 
gospel community, that kingdom of God that is alive, that is active, that is advancing so that they can know how much Jesus loves them, okay? Um, it combines the great commandment, the great commission. The great commandment is to love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And the great commission is go, go to the ends of the earth and, and make disciples and tell them the good news. And that's what we're about. And it takes a church to do that, not just uh, a staff or a, a segment of the body to get after it, but all of us, all of us. And that is good news because there is great joy Great joy in that. Um, and we're going to take a look at, at what happens here. Uh, they're, they're, the problem is that there is a movement afoot uh, that short circuits all of this. That short circuits all of this. Jesus' glory, Jesus' kingdom, and the church being the church. And it didn't just start with us, this consumer Christianity. It didn't just start with us. It started 2,000 years ago in the early church, and it rears its ugly head, and we're going to take a look at that. Um, so we're going to read uh, Acts 6, 1 through 7, and, and then we're going to unpack it, and then we're going to talk about what this gospel community looks like and how we can all play a part. Okay, uh, let's get going. If you're ready, let's jump in. Acts 6. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint, some other uh, translations say a murmuring or gossiping uh, by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, and they set these before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Okay. Here's what's going on. Here's the recap of the story. The church is experiencing explosive growth, explosive growth. And it is not the church that it was in terms of size and some of the ways that they were doing things need to be adjusted so that they can continue to advance the kingdom of God, continue to reach people, continue to bring the good news uh, in an unhindered way. And as the church grows, there is complaining. Um, and, and some of you have seen that here. And uh, so the people who are bent out of shape come up to the apostles, come up to the staff and say, there's a problem. We need to get our widows uh, fed and equipped and, 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 and given to and taken care of. And they expect uh, the church leadership to do that. Uh, and so rather than do that uh, and... And, and create a bigger problem by neglecting God's word and prayer. They say, uh, we're going to 
uh, enlist. We're going to get everybody up off the bench. And, and we're going to uh, have more people in ministry because there's a calling on others' lives to take care of the various aspects of the church. Um, and so this is the first place that we see deacons. And you may be familiar with that word. That means servants or ministers. In, in this passage, they're talking about men, but throughout the New Testament, we see that it is not a gender-specific role. Uh, there are deaconesses, if you will, uh, who also uh, do, do this important ministry, this important work of this church. And what happens when they get this done, when, they, when the church realizes that it takes a church to do the calling and the work of the church, then Jesus is pleased and the church explodes again in a new way. And it even goes beyond because some of the least likely people to ever follow Jesus, the priests are now coming on board. They're now seeing the light of the gospel, the truth of who he is and who he wants to be in their lives, and they're coming. And they're coming, and that's very exciting. 6-1, let's take a look. Let's unpack what's here. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, okay, the church is exploding, and a complaint, a complaint comes. There's complaining in the early church. It's the first mention of it. Aren't you glad we're done with that? Doesn't happen anymore? A complaint comes from the Hellenists. Now, who are the Hellenists? They are the Greek-speaking Jews, okay? They're the Greek-speaking Jews. They came probably from out of town. You remember when we talked about Pentecost? They're coming from all over the place. So these are the ones that are there, and, and they were complaining against the Hebrews, the Aramaic or Hebrew-speaking Jews, right? Because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Okay, what's happening here? People are complaining because... Uh, because they're widows. This is very important. It is part of the work of the church to help those who are helpless. The widows uh, did not have a husband anymore. And so in that time, it was a very vulnerable place to be. You needed support. You needed advocacy because you didn't have societal or legal um, help. Uh, and you needed food. You needed somebody to provide for you, and the church was doing that. So a very important thing, and, and they do that. Uh, in the midst of this, Jesus is showing up every, every time they get together, and he's exploding the church because the apostles have been faithful to preach and teach the word of God, to intercede for the church and those far from Christ in prayer. And, and here's what's happening. By the power and the glory of Jesus, people are being saved. Lots of them. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with um, what has happened at Bethany in the past couple of years, but God has given us a very clear vision of, of what he wants for us to love him, to love those who are far from him. And here's the good news. People are being saved. Lots of them. Okay, in 2009, probably about 35 people have made first-time commitments to Jesus Christ. By the end of the month, we'll have about 50 baptisms. Jesus is exploding the church, not because of the, of, of, for the glory of his servants, only for his glory, okay? Um, and there's complaining because things need to change. Things need to change. And uh, we're going to move on and take a look at, at what's going on. Verse 2. And the 12 
the apostles summoned the full number of the disciples, the whole church, and they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, this doesn't merely mean being a waiter. Okay, if we think about Jesus turning over the tables in the temple, he was, he was turning over the money changers. They were serving tables. They are equipping, they are giving out things, okay? This means we have a primary calling to pray for you, to pray uh, for your protection, for your blessing, uh, for um, the gospel to go forth, for people who are far from Jesus Christ, that he would open their eyes, open their minds, open their hearts and reveal himself so they can know the new life that they can have in him forgiven and free. That's our calling. And then to study the word of God and to unpack it for you, to share it with you, to teach it and preach it. And it's not that distributing needs to widows is, is a bad thing. It's not an unnoble thing. We will clean the bathrooms with our own toothbrushes if that's what it takes. It's not beneath us. It's an important job, but it's not our job. Okay? It's not that it's beneath us, but it takes a church to do the work of the church. And apparently, apparently, um, they were really upset about the widows of the Hellenists not uh, being served. So this could be, they're talking about widows, but for us, it could be anything. It could be the preschoolers. It could be whatever our hot button is, our children, uh, the high schoolers, the college students, the young adults, the married people, the older adults. Somebody's needs are not getting met, right? And the Hellenists, they come and they come to the apostles and apparently there is this implication it's not written here, but you can tell by the, the apostles' response that there's this expectation that the Hellenists have that it's their responsibility. That the Hellenists somehow have this spiritual gift for finding a fault and knowing whose responsibility it is. Just so you know, uh, in Scripture, there is no spiritual gift for fault-finding and responsibility assigning. This is an important thing for the church to grasp because they're coming up to the apostles and it's like, well, my mother, who happens to be a widow, is not getting her meals on wheels. And you are the staff. This is why we pay you the big bucks. Um, and so what are you going to do about it? And, and Peter and the boys say to them, in a sense, oh, no, you didn't. It's not written here, but you can imagine that, that something like that might have happened. You don't want us. We have a problem here. We have an issue. It's an important one. It's an important one. But believe me, you do not want us distracted from praying for you from going on our knees before the holy God and asking for your protection, for your blessing, for your healing, for your advancement of the kingdom, for praying for those who are far from Christ, whom you work with, whom you play with, whom you live on the street with, whom you go to class with. And you don't want us to take any time away from the study and the preaching and the teaching of God's word. Why? Because if that happens, we've got a bigger problem. 
This call of God, this mission of Jesus Christ is going then to leave the rails and we're going to have a train wreck of a church. We're going to have a train wreck. And we can't do that. But here's what can happen. We can call the church off the bench. Everybody, everybody call the church off the bench to live in gospel community, to say, we know that when we've been called to Jesus Christ, we've been given a ministry. We've we've been given the opportunity to work with him, together with him, and partner with him in advancing the church and advancing the kingdom of God. That's what we're going to do. So um, it's not a staff and a bunch of consumers or fault finders. It's building the army, getting the believers off the bench, and getting after it. First three. Here we go. How are we doing? Or, you know, I look down, and like 20 minutes are passed, and you're going, yeah, I lived through every one of those. All right. Let's just get excited about it. The Word of God is so good. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom who we will appoint to this duty. Verse four, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Why? Is that because that's what we most want to do or because that is what Jesus has called us to do? That is the greatest way that we can bless you, okay? And what they said pleased the whole gathering. This particular church was into this, being the church. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. We, we saw a couple weeks ago that he became the first martyr. Here's how it all started for him, serving the widows, right? He entered into something that was not necessarily um, the most um, sought-after job, but God called him from the bullpen, right? And he delivered a, uh, a message to those who were far from God. And, and God used him mightily, and he was the first of the early church to be martyred, to give his physical life um, for not compromising um, the gospel. And he's going to be a stud in eternity when you see him. Meet Stephen. Um, and the Holy Spirit and Philip and Procurus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. I think, I think my, Matt chose to go on vacation this week because there was a passage with a lot of these weird names, and he didn't want to have to read them for you. Um, It's not scriptural, but but I do think it's true. Um, These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. They prayed, and they laid their hands on them. Why? I mean, eh, what's going on here? They're going to be like giving meals and clothing and support to, to widows. And yet they pray and, and lay their hands on them as if this is some kind of huge anointed ministry. Because it is. And because it is. Anything that you do that you are called upon by God to do, to serve the church, to advance the kingdom, to reach people who are far from Jesus Christ, however lowly, however exalted, is an anointed, important ministry. And and Jesus can turn it into something absolutely glorious. And we're going to talk in in a little bit about um, 
what's important to Jesus and, and what's not and look at what's important to the church and what's not. And oftentimes, oftentimes they're very, very different. Very, very different. So they saw each, each ministry as being holy and anointed. And what's the result? It's, it's mind-blowing. When they move from this consumer-oriented church, uh, this complaining, fault-finding, and, and assigning of responsibility church into gospel community, what happens? What happens to them? What will happen, happen to us? And the word of God continued to increase. Okay, everybody keeps their eye on the prize. Everybody knows what they're called to. Everybody is engaging in this. And so the word of God continues to go forth and it increases. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Not, not small, not incremental. It's exploding. It's exploding. This is what's happening. And get this. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, um, we're in chapter 6. I want you to see what's going on here because it's very, very interesting. Um, we were in chapter 5 when we talked about suffering. Um, when the apostles, when they wrote the, the scripture, they were not writing in chapters and verses. That was added much later as a way for us to, to refer to different places. But it is a story. It is the word of God that is continual, okay, in the original writings. There's no divisions here. So just a paragraph or two before, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is talking about, he's talking about how the apostles, you remember, went in to the church and were criticized and warned not to preach, not to teach in the name of Jesus, but they, but they said they, they couldn't. They couldn't. This, this God who had so upended their lives um, was so worthy and had such a love for those who are far from him that they had to share that message. And so the priests and the religious leaders had them scourged and whipped to shreds. Don't miss this. The church starts acting like the gospel community rather than the consumer church and the very priests who had sentenced them to be shredded are now following Jesus. They spend time with these people who have such an incredible, authentic love of Jesus Christ and such an authentic and real, no-holds-barred love for each other and love for those who are their enemies and those who are, fought, who are treating them like enemies. They don't see it as such. They see them as captives, right? And they love those people and they can't deny what's going on. And the very unlikeliest of people are now following Jesus Christ. And I ask you, who in your life who in your life is the least likely of people to see the truth of Jesus Christ, to receive it and to follow him. Who is that? Because here's Jesus' plan. That as his word continues to go forth, that as his church starts to look like the gospel community that he calls us to be, he pours out his spirit, the word advances, and the people least likely to follow come to faith come to new life in him, are saved. 
Lots of them. Lots of them. And it's here so that we can learn it, so that we can do it, so that we can unleash his power and see it happen again. Who are those people? When the church lives as the gospel community, this kind of thing happens. This kind of thing happens. So uh, the choice before us, as we look at the scripture, as we respond to the calling uh, of our purpose that takes the church, we have a choice to be what many are. And I'm not throwing rocks at them, but I'm wanting us to look in the mirror and, and, and not be the consumer church but to be the gospel community. Now, the consumer church, I understand it because in our society, in our world, we are a consumer society, right? You get your iPhone and you get the apps that you want. You, you configure it to your own personal needs, your own personal desires. You go up to Starbucks and I've seen you. Um, I want the venti, maki, laki, nakiato with... Uh, extra hot, room for cream, uh, light foam, no soy, uh, and uh, two and a third sweet and lows. <laughs> and then like somebody sees you later that morning and you're all down and depressed and they go, what's wrong? I asked for two and a third sweet and lows. I got two and a half. Man, the world is unjust. The consumer church sees church as Mario's. And I pick on Mario's because, well, um, Mark and Karen are my buddies. And they're followers of Jesus. And, um, but you can pick any place, right? And you go in there and you're hungry and you have certain expectations, right? And you go up and you want your favorite booth. And then you want like your waitress or waiter or bus person to come quickly and bring you that Diet Dr. Pepper because they don't have Diet Coke, which is a big, big flaw. Um, and to keep that glass full, baby. And you want to order just what you want. And it gets brought to you and it better be right. Because if it's not, you're going to complain. And if it's not, you might not tip. And if they don't check off this list, you want to go to the place, you're going to get the best product for the best price that's going to cost you the least and the best service. And if you don't get it, you have choices. You can just blow them off and go to Paisons, right? You'll tell, you'll show them. I'm going to go to a place that's going to get it right for me. The consumer church sees church as Mario's. Um, how come when we go to the nursery, you don't have this big winding slide that shoots my kid out into my arms? Um, <laughs> how come there's no cup holder there for my Starbucks or my coffee here? I want those donuts warm. I... <laughs> How come only chocolate and glazed? It's a matter I like strawberry. Sometimes it's more important than that, you know? You're not, uh, not playing the songs I want. 
Music ain't rocking enough. It's too rocking. You move my chair. <laughs> my family, my needs, my preferences. The church is a place where I go to be served, to grow in my relationship with Christ, to be given uh, what I need, what I want, the way I want it, uh, short enough. Uh, okay, I'm busted. Okay, sorry. <laughs> it is about me. And here's, um, here's a, a really tough truth that, that when we're mired in the consumer church culture um, that looks for meeting my needs more than being the gospel community um, that we need to get our minds around. That when we say that the church is for me, the church is for my family, um, that's not scriptural. Um, we exist for the church, not this building, not this hour and a half, not but to be the body of Christ. And the church exists for him and for those who are far from him. Amen? Amen. It's hard. It's hard because it runs countercultural to the way everything else works in our world. And so we look for Jesus in the church and, and in the church that is saying, feed me, meet my needs, uh, and if you don't, I'm not going to tip. And if you don't, I have other choices rather than saying, if God has revealed to me a need, he has also revealed to me a calling to get up off the bench and meet that need. And we look for Jesus in this consumer culture, Christianity, and he's not there. He's not there. He's not there. He is washing feet. He is serving others. He has come down from his throne in glory. Think about who we serve. Think about who we serve. Awesome, awesome power and control, right? He goes up to a blind guy and says, your eyes are blind, but now they can see. He can see. He goes with fishermen, with sailors. He's asleep in the boat and the winds and the waves are crashing and they think they're going to die. And he gets up and he says, peace, be still. And he goes back to sleep and they're saying, who is this guy? Who is this guy? There's a bunch. There's a hillside full of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And he takes a little boy and his Lunchable, okay? And he feeds them all. And there are baskets and baskets left over. This is the power, okay? He walks in where evil is prevalent in people and around people. And, and the demons are starting to say, oh, Jesus, Oh, Jesus, did you come here to, to punish us? They're not saying there's a fight that's about to happen. They're saying we're about to get our butts whipped because the king just showed up. Who is this guy? Okay, all of that. All of that. And what does he do? As the time comes for him to willingly sacrifice his life. He calls his friends around and he puts a towel 
around his waist. And he fills a bowl with water. And he kneels. Do you get that? He kneels and he, he takes off their sandals and the dust and the grime and the camel stuff that has uh, stuck to that. He takes that in his hands and he washes it. And he comes up to, to Judas. Okay? This isn't a surprise. He knew. He knew from the beginning who it was who was going to betray him. And the one who would betray him, he takes off his sandals and takes his dirty feet in his hands and he washes them. The king of kings and the lord of lords is kneeling. And he's holding somebody else's dirty feet and he is washing them. And there's a consumer church out there um, that says, my feet are dirty. What are you going to do about it? Matthew 20, 25. But Jesus uh, called to them and said, you know how the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. He's saying this is how the world works. It's how the world works. And the great ones exercise authority over them. They're into using their power for themselves and their control and their money. And, and it shall not be so among you. It will not be like that in my church. But whoever among you would be great must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you you must uh, be your slave. Even as the Son of Man, even as I came, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you see the disconnect? We serve a God who has come to serve, who has come to do the lowliest of tasks up to cleaning the toilets of our souls on the cross in our place for our sins. And we who follow him are prone to say, what about my needs? What about my family's needs? What about my preferences? And the body of Christ doesn't look like the bride of Christ. It looks like the bride of Frankenstein. And what we have done here is try to, through Jesus Christ, have a place where the unchurched and the de-churched, what de-churched means is those of you who were grown up in the church or tried church, and experienced something in that that looked so radically different than what Christ said that you pitched it all. What we desperately want is to embody what Jesus called us to be, to be that gospel community, that we do life 
together. We do love together. We celebrate him together. If anyone is burdened, we take that upon ourselves and use everything we have and everything we are to heal and equip and bless them. If somebody is rejoicing, we come alongside them and we rejoice. We challenge one another to the best things. And together, we go out and we invite people into this gospel community. And oftentimes, they respond first to the love in the community before they respond to the word of God that is saying, come and and let me put my new life within you. And yet, um, many churches have kept people from Jesus because they don't look like that. And we desperately want to look like that because it takes a church. It, It takes a church which is why we often say at the end, this service is ended. You're going to say, you're going to say that soon? Yeah, I am. Uh This service is ended, but church is just getting started because church is not a building we go to. Church is not um, a thing that we do. Church is identity. It is who we are. And, and, And serving and working is not another ball to keep up in the air, that we're at the center and we've got all these balls in the air, our work, our studies, our, our this, our that. It's not that. The church is us together at the center in Christ, helping each other keep those balls in the air with some sanity and joy and holiness and knowing which ones to drop. It's a whole lot easier to live that life in gospel community. Church is not a place we go. It is not a building. It is not this time. It is your identity. And that gospel community, if we can seize that and reject the consumer church, then we're going to see the church explode and those who are least likely to follow come. And we got people here who do that. We got people here who do that. And I just want to thank them. And I'm going to leave people out, so don't, don't get your feelings hurt. But Jamie and Cliff Shanklin, Chris and Deb Brueggemann, Elise McBride, Jamie Cattles, Gail Dillingham, there are others who see the need to take our young people, our youngest children. They're all up here right now in this classrooms, and they're pouring their love and their life into these kids, and they are they're teaching them the, the gospel the gospel, to love Jesus with all their heart and love everybody else uh, with a desire that they would be a blessing to those uh, around them and their families. Okay, uh, Ari Patrick, Matt's wife, uh, who does not, is not a mother, does not yet have children, but has a heart for infants. Uh, she coordinates the nursery and it's not just babysitting. We're not duct taping kids to the carpet until you come. We're, they're, they're loving over those kids. They're praying over those kids. And, and she's sacrificing. She's got a full-time job. But she's going to make sure that there's somebody that's loving on them. Paul Jacobs, where are you, buddy? Man, he is a business owner in town, which is one of the toughest things to be. Um, and works probably a 60-plus hour week, but he is here all the time, practicing for worship team, being on the worship team, being a trustee, coming here on Wednesday nights, praying. And 
you come on the weekends and he's here because he saw some in the ceiling tiles that were spotted because there's leaking and he's up on a ladder replacing them. Nobody told him to do that. He just wants to be used. You did tell him to do that? God bless you. Josh Pierce, I, I, I don't know that they're around this weekend. I think they're traveling. Marlene Shahan, they coordinate the Wednesday night prayer study. And they're here and, and they're lifting you guys up and, and they're coordinating that. And Josh takes care of the usher ministry. And there are people who are doing all kinds of things. We have people here who are vacuuming and cleaning the chairs and taking them down and setting them up. Jan Inman. Jan, I don't know if you can hear me, but God bless you. She's a woman in our congregation who, uh, she's the only one in her family right now who is plugged into the church. But this week she had two 40-pound turkeys that she cooked and prepared. And she's got a Thanksgiving feast for the college students that her family can't understand what's going on. Um, Give her a hug. Love on her. There are a lot of people who participate in the college lunch program. Um, we have a guy named Clayton, whom I love, who um, he's, you don't see him here. He's coming to the 8 o'clock service at night. Um, you know why he's not at the 10? Because he's downstairs in the big classroom on his knees during this service, praying for you, praying for me that our hearts would be open, that our minds would be open, that God would reveal himself. He doesn't do that so anybody would notice, except for his Lord. And the people that he doesn't even know would be blessed. And there are so many others. I could go on and go on and go on. And I want to. Um, I want us all to get up off the bench. Because when we become that gospel community that doesn't just come together Sunday mornings to do what we do here and then leave and go back to life, but do life together, do love together, do school together, do work together, then God will explode his church because we will look a lot like him. And rather than scaring people away from Jesus... There's a book out. I love the title. I love the title. I, I agree with some of it, but it's called People Love Jesus But Not the Church. Hmm. Yeah. They will begin to see Jesus in the church. So as part of our response, um, we, want, we put under the seats uh, a design for form because Jesus has equipped you and designed you for, for some kind of service to get up off the bench and do and be. And as part of the response time, we want to give you an opportunity to fill that out. It has a place for your name and the date. What it doesn't have a place for is your contact information. If you put your, um, your number, um, probably a cell number and an email on that, uh, and then just leave that on the seats. We have, we have people, um, and I think they're gone for the weekend too, um, but um, Chase and Kim Davis um, come through the sanctuary after college lunch is eaten and they pick up your coffee cups and they pick up the bulletins and they recycle and they clean up 
And it's not to shame you for not cleaning up, but your mom should have raised you better than that. But um, they do that because they love you. Um, and so we want, we want you in on the blessing because when we serve, that's where we meet Jesus because he's serving. Jesus is not in the drive through lane of the church saying, hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, and slap some quick on it because I'm in a hurry. He is washing feet. Yeah. And we want to, too. All right? Let's pray.